I'm going to ask you, if you have got your Bibles with you, please turn to John chapter 17. We're continuing on. Um, James has got his head down. He thinks I'm not going to ask him to come up and read. That's why. But I am going to ask James to come up and read. So get your head up, James. Up you come. We're doing verses 20 to 26 in John chapter 17. James is going to kindly read them for us. And then we're going to look at them and, and, and see what God's, to, God's got to say to us through these verses this morning. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their messages, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the, world will, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know you have sent me. I you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Amen. Thank you, James. It's not an easy passage to read that, Jimbo, so well done. It's a tough, loads of commas and full stops all over the place. No, you can't have next week off. Now is not the right time to ask. You're probably going to do more weeks for asking me now, okay? <laughs> It's good, it's good for us to, to be here and to read those words. Father, I just pray that as we look at those verses, you would speak to us. Lord, that by way of your Holy Spirit, you would reveal those things to us that you want us to know this morning. Father, help us to put aside our flesh. Help us to put aside the things of the world. And help us just for this short time to focus upon you and what you have to say. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So those of you that have been with us, and I know a lot of you haven't, but those of you that have been with us over the past few weeks, we've been looking at John chapter 17, and this is Jesus praying. And he structures his prayer in a particular way. And he's about to go to the cross. This is the night before Jesus goes to the cross. And the night before Jesus goes to the cross, he chooses to pray for these things. Firstly, he prays for himself. That he would have the strength to endure what it is God the Father has set him out to do. Then he prays for his disciples. That they would be strong when he has gone. And then thirdly, in the verses we looked at today, he prays for future believers. Future children of God. Before Jesus went to the cross, the night before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed for you and I. That's how important 
if you belong to Jesus today, if you're born again, if you are saved, if you count yourself among his family, he deemed you important enough to pray for you the night before he was to die. That should encourage you. That should build you up. That should give you an amazing feeling that the God of this universe thought you important enough to be prayed for before he went to the cross. We've heard about the power of prayer this morning. We've heard quite a few people pray. We've heard people talk about the power of prayer. Before we've ever even uttered a prayer or thought of a prayer, 2,000 years ago approximately, Jesus And there's a few things within Jesus' prayer that I just want to touch on this morning. I haven't got the time or the intellect or the understanding to be able to explain it all. But there are a few things I believe that God says to us in his word that we can pick up on. In Isaiah 55, God promised that his word goes out from his mouth and does not return to him empty. God promised that his word accomplishes what he desires and achieves the purpose for which he sent it. Jesus, we know, came as the very word of God in flesh. Jesus trained his disciples. He spent time with his disciples, teaching them God's word. And by his amazing death, and resurrection, his ascension, and his sending of his Holy Spirit, the disciples were strengthened so that they could be thoroughly and completely equipped for the mission of sharing God's word with their immediate neighbors and wider. Those disciples, it tells us, and disciples in the future, tells us will proclaim the gospel to others with success in verse 20 i want you to look oh, i've got some rubes have you got a bible on you has someone next to you got a bible no he should have there so i'll let you into a little secret what i try and encourage people to do and i totally forgot this morning when they come bring your bible with you have it on your phone have it in front of you i know i'm I've got you to pick on this morning. I've got new, new people to pick on. But bring your Bible so that when I say, look at verse 20, you can have a look at it. Because this is what it says. It says, those who will believe in me through their word. It doesn't say those who might believe in me. It doesn't say those who could possibly believe in me. It says those who will believe in me. So Jesus is saying, when... I give my word, those people who hear it will believe. The word will be successful. It is inevitable that the preaching of the gospel is going to be successful because it is the very work of God to do it. The building of his kingdom does not rely upon me standing here on a Sunday morning and telling you people about it. The building of his kingdom does not rely on you leaving this building and going telling other people about it. We play a part in it, that's a role that we play in it, but it's reliant upon God. It's God's program, it's God's plan. 
and those he has ordained to be his children will serve him, will believe in the word. Jesus goes on to pray in verse 21 and he starts to talk about unity and oneness and he talks about the oneness of the father in the son and the son in the father and then this is an amazing blessing that very same oneness between Jesus the son and God the father in heaven he says is displayed in all all of his children all of his followers. Again, read it, verse 21. That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. That is an incredible blessing. If you belong to Jesus, that is an incredible blessing. He says, Your oneness, your unity is in me and in God the Father. You're not alone. There is an assurance here, first of all, all true believers will be one. And do you know what that means? Whether you like the believer sat next to you or not, whether you get on with them or not, you're one with them. You're united in the Holy Spirit, in God the Father, in God the Son, in God the Holy Spirit. <coughs> all believers constitute the body of Christ. And they constitute the body of Christ. They've been placed in Christ by the word of Jesus. They've been born into the kingdom of God so that we can be one with the Father and one with the Son. I want you to take note as well. It's not just an invisible or a spiritual unity. But it's one that's visible in the world God's word tells us that people can see this unity so that unbelievers in seeing this unity will be drawn to Jesus and believe that God sent him that's what it says in verse 21 it's a remarkable verse it really is because what it tells us is that the unity, us as a fellowship showing unity, when people see that, they are drawn to Jesus and therefore God. And therefore you are a witness. And therefore, whether you believe you are or not, you're an evangelist. Now, I know we talk about evangelism sharing the word, but evangelism is sharing God with others. Verse 22 goes on to explain. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I don't know whether you can actually comprehend that. Whether, I, I, I struggle. I can't take that in. The glory that God the Father gave to Jesus, Jesus has given to us. You share, if you're born again, you share in the glory that God the Father gave to Jesus and Jesus has given to you. The glory of God 
is his revelation of himself. It's God's activity and works amongst his people. It's this manifestation. God is revealed for who he is. God's self-disclosure is in the person of Jesus. And it's brought to full witness in Jesus' life and the work of Jesus on the cross. Salvation for all of us, for all mankind. Those who believe in the work of the Son share in the glory of God, in knowing Him through His revealed redemption. That's amazing. That is amazing. One of the ways that the glory of God was manifest in Jesus was in his servanthood. He came to serve, we read, don't we? He came to serve, not to be served. Jesus went to the cross to reveal God's glory and grace. We are called to serve him and others in humility. And that is part of the glory of God in us. We're not here to be worshipped. You might think you are, but you're not. We're not here to be adored. We're not even here to be liked, although it's nice. We are here to be followers and imitators of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. That's what we smell like when we're serving. We are a, we are a pleasing, a sweet-smelling aroma to other people when we're serving in the way that God wants us to serve. And people like people that smell nice rather than smell bad. In verse 23, it's still talking about unity and oneness in verse 23, but it talks about in verse 23 how unity is perfected. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and love them as you have loved me. It's through Jesus that we are united with the Father. We find the Father in the Son. It is by Jesus' revelation of himself that we find God the Father. And again, I want you to notice what it says in this verse. It's, it's God's kingdom purposes at work. It's not for a selfish or a self-serving purpose, but so that the world may know that the Father sent the Son. And that Jesus proceeds from the Father. We who believe, Christians, were caught up into the love of the Father for the Son. And God's love is incredible. It isn't like the love of the world. God's love is not to enhance or adorn himself, but he wills to give of himself to those who are inferior to him. 
to those who don't deserve it. God's will is to give of himself. This is his love. His will, his love, is to give of himself to people who do not deserve it. Me. Us. And in that, we find an eternal security. Contentment, fulfillment, being loved by the Creator Himself with the very same love that He has for His Son and with the very same love that the Son has for the Father. That's how He loves us. What great love the Father has lavished upon us that we would be called his children. And as we move on to the final few verses, 24 to 26, I want you to notice how this is not just a one-off. This isn't just for a moment in time. These verses talk about it being beyond the present, into the future. Look at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus' prayer for unity and love includes holiness. As the church while on earth, but also yearning for that heavenly glory. That thing is, that's to come after we're on earth. Jesus prays for the time when the saints on earth will behold the eternal glory of Jesus the Son, which has belonged to him since eternity past. It's been there forever. He prays for the time when believers will witness the splendor and majesty which belong to him in the heavenly realms. Not just the glory of his service whilst on this earth, but the glory that he's talking about now to which he will soon return. I was thinking about praying before and when we were talking about the importance of prayer. And how quite often when we pray, we think that it's for this time and this time alone. But Jesus' prayer here teach us, teaches us that our prayers, his prayers, Echoing, for, for one to use in a better phrase, I'll nick one from Gladiator. Maximus Decimus Meridius, the year 2000. Prayers echo in eternity. Our prayers echo in eternity. You might never see your prayer on this earth come to fruition. You might never see the result of it. But you can believe that when you get to heaven, you'll know you'll see the outcome of that prayer there. Just as, you, just as you don't see now, we don't we see in a blurred way now, don't we? We don't see fully. We don't understand fully. But we're told when we get there, we'll know. We'll see as if seeing face to face. Verses 25 and 26 read, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. 
Jesus here appeals to a righteous father, a holy father. He appeals to God's justice and to his righteousness. And the distinction is made between those who accept and receive the work of Jesus in their lives and the rest of the world that don't. A distinction is made by Jesus in his prayer between those who believe and those who reject. And Jesus acknowledges that his disciples have understood that he was sent from God. They had come to understand that God had come to dwell in the midst of his people. The world, on the other hand, has rejected the truth about Jesus. And then verse 26 declares the ongoing sharing of the gospel. I have declared to them your name and will declare it that in the love which you love me may be in them and I in them. The work of the gospel will continue. It's that word again, will. It will succeed. The work of the gospel will continue until all God's people have been gathered in Christ. Jesus himself will continue just as it, to indwell his people, to be with them, the true church. God will dwell in the midst of his people. Whether you believe what I've just said for the last 15 minutes or not, it doesn't actually change the truth. True remains true. Truth remains truth, regardless of whether someone believes in it or not. And falsehood or false remains false. Doesn't change that it doesn't truth doesn't change its nature, nature and false doesn't change its nature. The glory of God we read in Scripture is revealed in the Lord Jesus. Jesus is deity. Jesus is God. God in the flesh. God incarnate is a word that's used in Scripture. His word declares this. His word declares that there is one way to God for forgiveness, salvation and eternal life in the kingdom. And that is through the Lord Jesus by faith. And that's it. Truth is truth. Whether you believe it or not doesn't change it. The glory of God is revealed in us, we've just read, in the unity and oneness of his people. Through the love of God in the church, through the mission of the church. There is coming a day, scripture tells us, when the righteous God will judge both the living and the dead. And the Jesus who died that you might believe will rightfully and righteously be that judge. In Scripture we're told that he is the truth. God's word is truth. This remains true. People debate it. People question it. People don't believe it. People excuse their unbelief. People justify their anger or their lack of forgiveness against God. But God's truth remains. None of that other stuff that we do or think or speak about or act in a doesn't change the truth. 
even if the entire world should reject the truth, it's still the truth. I just want to finish with a couple of things about prayer. And I know that that's been our focus this morning for a lot of our service. But this is Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. As I said earlier, before he goes to the cross. And I just want to focus on a few things that this prayer, Jesus' prayer, teaches us about prayer. And the first thing I want us to notice is that this prayer, and all prayer, is this, this is the way it should be, there are some presumptions or presuppositions. And all that means is that there are some things that this prayer just assumes to be true doesn't debate them, doesn't question them, doesn't doubt them. This prayer just assumes some stuff to be the truth. One of them is the sovereignty of God. This prayer does not question the sovereignty of God. This prayer, as Jesus prays, assumes the sovereignty of God to just be a given. And it assumes that sovereignty in the salvation and keeping of believers. True believers are those who belong to God and they're given to the Son. The salvation is the, through the work of the Son in which we believe. And once saved by God, believers are kept and preserved by Him. As a believer, as a Christian, there should be no more comforting thought than that. We are kept and preserved by God. Our salvation rests securely in Him and Him alone. The other thing that this prayer assumes or presumes is the sufficiency of Jesus' work upon the cross, securing salvation. It tells us all that Jesus requested is promised on the completion of the cross. The Saviour, Jesus, is not a mere man but the Son of God. No one else can claim to have been with the Father in eternity past but Him. Who else but Jesus can claim that everything which belongs to the Father is also His? The work of Jesus upon the cross is all sufficient and when Jesus prays he just says that's a given there's no doubt prayer is powerful we have been blessed as a fellowship to experience the power of prayer I believe and you can question me if you like. The reason we saw the family up here before, being able to give thanks to God and being able to dedicate Oscar in the way that we have this morning, it's all prayer. And not our own prayer for our own family, but other people's prayer for us. And then people within the family praying for other people within the family. And actually, if you want to go further than that, it's totally and utterly reliant upon the prayer that Jesus prayed for future believers 2,000 years ago. 
It's all him. Prayer is powerful. Jesus taught it. Jesus believed it. I'd encourage you. Pray. Don't ever stop praying. Persevere in prayer. It's powerful. As a fellowship, we've seen so many answers to prayer that should encourage us to pray even more. And to finish with, and I will finish with this, there's a cost. There was a price to prayer. We can't leave this prayer of Jesus without seriously considering the price of it. Every request which Jesus made on our behalf necessitated his personal sacrifice. His sacrifice upon the cross of Calvary. Apart from his finished work in his death, burial, resurrection and ascension, prayers just become wishful thinking. But because of his death, burial, resurrection and ascension, prayers are no longer wishful thinking. We have an assured hope in our Saviour. He promises us that he hears every single one of our prayers. He promises us that he acts in, for the good of those who love him and belong to him. We can be in no doubt about it. There was a price. Jesus has paid for our salvation. No one else could pay it. No matter how good you think you are, you couldn't have paid it. He was the only one who could. And he did. It was paid once and for all and never needs to be paid again. That's the price of the prayer that Jesus prayed. We are blessed to be here this morning. Privileged to be able to spend time not only in one another's presence, but with God. And Jesus' prayer for us 2,000 years ago upholds us even now. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. Lord, we thank, thank you that you speak to us through your word. Father, help us to put those things that you teach us through your scriptures into practice in our daily lives. Lord, that we will be more like the people you want us to be and less like our natural flesh would keep us. Father, bless us as we leave this place. Thank you for being here with us this morning. For we give you thanks in our Lord and Saviour's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.